It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. Good evening and welcome on this Thanksgiving evening. It's November the 25th, 2010, and we're with you on the Virtual Bible Study. It's a Thursday night tradition, and so even on Thursday night, Thanksgiving night, we're going to have an edition of the Virtual Bible Study. We're glad that you're there. We're glad you're listening. Uh, hope you've had a good day uh, and that we can end the day with a good period of Bible study. We look forward to you participating with us. Our contact info is the same as always. We've got a toll-free number, and we need to get that phone. If somebody is sitting in the audience there will get me the phone, <laughs> they're not listening. We need the phone. Uh, so if you'll get that, we'll, we'll, we'll announce our toll-free number, 877-381-4567. Call us toll-free on that number. Or you can send us email to questions at collegeview.com. We'll be trying to monitor our email throughout the program. And you can get into the chat room uh, where you are watching. Uh, hopefully you see the chat room window right to your uh, to the immediate right of the picture. And you can get in the chat room and join with other listeners as we uh, study this, the topic tonight. You can put your thoughts in there and we'll try to watch those uh, chat room comments as well and try to get some of those in. Uh, I see a number of people who are in the chat room with a name just guest and a number which follows. If you will, go to the lower left-hand corner of that chat box, and you can see to where you can edit your nickname. Give yourself a name. It doesn't have to be your real name. It can just be a screen name. But give us a name so we can kind of keep track of who's making comments there in the chat room. Uh, go to that lower left-hand corner of the chat window and click on Edit Your Nickname. And put in some kind of a name so we can identify you from all the other guests. That will help us a lot as we're talking tonight. Joining me on the virtual Bible study tonight, uh, uh, two fellows that I appreciate very much and especially appreciate them tonight for being willing to come out and join me uh, as we uh, engage in this Internet Bible study. Jacob is out of pocket tonight uh, visiting with family. And so Jim Walsh and his son Brian Walsh have uh, agreed uh, to join with us on the virtual Bible study tonight. Jim, Brian, thanks for being here. All right. Both of you get real close to those mics okay. when you talk. You, can, right. you can lower that one down, Jim, okay. and get it right there in front of your face, and uh, that will help us out a lot. Uh, in fact, Jim is the one who suggested the topic that we're going to discuss tonight. That's right. Blame me. Yeah. If this falls flat, Jim, we're going to pin it on you. Okay. okay. All right. No, I think it's an important and good subject, and it deals with something. One part of this, at least, is something that we've never, ever discussed on the virtual Bible study in over five years. Uh, let me read some excerpts from a newspaper article by a columnist named Stephen Rowland. And this is not the whole article, but part of it at least. It says, I read about the blessing of the animals held recently at St. John's Episcopal Church. In years past, I would have shaken my head sadly about such an event. My attitude was quite condescending. 
Don't they realize that the gospel is all about people, not animals? And Jesus and his disciples never went around blessing animals. So Rollins says in his past, in his religious past, he would, when he heard about a special service at, uh, at this Episcopal church in which they're blessing the animals, that's not an uncommon thing. You hear about no, that? Yeah, you hear about that a lot. Yeah. Uh, but he would have sort of condescendingly said, what's the matter with those people? Don't, right. don't they know that's, that, you know, Jesus never did that and, and uh, the gospel is about people, not about animals. Now he says, he, he, he goes on in his article and he says, now he believes there is an important hermeneutical, and he, he defines hermeneutical as a common sense rule of biblical interpretation. He says there's a, uh, an important hermeneutical observation that goes something like this. What is not specifically addressed in Scripture can neither be made doctrinally necessary nor banned outright. And so his conclusion is, Quote, it's best to leave things like pets going to heaven, he had mentioned that in the article, and animal blessings, such as that denominational church engages in. He says, it's best to believe those things to a believer's conscience and local church practice. Let's not, he says, sweat the small stuff, but rather strive to understand other Christians of a different stripe a little better. So based upon those comments in that article, I put out some questions to our update list earlier today. And the first of them has to do with the animals, you know, the blessing of the animals and animals going to heaven and so forth. Question one, should churches have special services to bless the animals? Yes or no? Why or why not? Question two, will animals have an eternal existence in heaven or hell? And number three, what does the Bible say about the treatment of animals? That's the part of this that we've never dealt with, Jim, Brian, on the virtual Bible study. We've never talked about uh, animals. And uh, I'm a little surprised the question has never come up because there are a lot of people out there who think that animals will go to heaven, that their favorite pet cat or dog is going to be with them in heaven. Well, well, certainly there are a lot of people who have that uh, desire. They have that desire that uh, a favorite pet, and I think we've all had favorite pets, that uh, somehow we're going to see them when we get to heaven, we're going to see them in, in paradise. But you know, the fact of the matter is that the scriptures do not address anything dealing with the spiritual well-being in any way whatsoever about animals. The, the Bible is concerned about us. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image. So we are God's focus. And, you know, thinking about that concept of animals, I suspect that there are a lot of people that would find comfort in thinking about that, but the scriptures don't address it. And to certainly to teach that it's so, there's no evidence to prove it. Yeah, that's exactly right. Uh, there's, there's a lot of people who believe that animals will go to heaven. We'll talk about that a little bit more here in a minute. Uh, and and uh, we want to talk about what the Bible does say about the proper treatment of animals. But then... As we get further into our study, we want to go to this hermeneutical thing that Roland suggests, uh, that if the Bible doesn't say, address something, then we're free to do whatever we want to do. Uh, you know, that sort of silence gives liberty to act. We'll deal with that concept uh, and, and the idea that we can just leave everything to people's own conscience, what they think, and so forth. We'll, we'll deal with that as we get a little later in the program. Let's start out a little bit more on this question of animals uh, Jim, you already touched on this, but let's let's take the sort of the second part of the question first. Will animals have an eternal existence in heaven? Uh, I, I did a little searching around uh, on the internet, and there's a, man, there's a ton of information on the internet where people have, have given their thoughts, all kinds of blogs that are related to that. I found one that just made me laugh outright. I read this to you earlier, guys. 
a, a blog by a Catholic priest called Father Joe on the Internet. Um, and he, he says, he thinks that most Catholics would say that animals do not go to heaven given that they do not possess immortal souls. This somewhat harsh response is often softened with the assertion that they are not entirely gone in that other animals, like dogs, share their substantial form. Others would say that an animal, like your favorite dog, continues to exist as an idea in the mind of God. He goes on to say, C.S. Lewis remarked that canine loyalty and affection oftentimes puts human fidelity and friendship to shame. Because of this, he thought that maybe dogs would be allowed to join their masters in heaven. Critics contend that this is just another instance of overblown English sentimentality. Uh, but here's the part that just made me laugh outright, Jim. He says, in any case, there's growing consensus that the outer circle of hell is patrolled by cats. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently he's not a cat lover. Yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, most people in taking the uh, decision to think about cats or dogs, which would you have? You know, dogs certainly exhibit some human qualities of loyalty and uh, well, I might even say happiness. You know, who who hasn't been pleased when you know they see their favorite dog that the dog's tail wags and you know the mouth is open and sometimes you could even imagine they're smiling, whereas cats seem totally indifferent yeah. to your circumstance whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. now you got to be careful because you, you you step on the toes of some cat lovers and well, you'll sure, be in big sure. trouble. Well, sure, yeah. sure. But, but uh, anyway, uh, it is. This is. The, I found another website. Uh, and the title of this blog is Proof That Animals Go to Heaven. And the guy says, our mission is to prove without a shadow of a doubt that when God made animals, he made them with spirits and souls and intended that they have a place in heaven. Uh, so he, he's got a, that's his, that's his intended uh, purpose of his entire blog. But I noticed that there's not a single scripture reference in anything that he has to say. And it just goes on and on. Uh, he says, there are those who believe and those who don't. We can't, all we can hope to do is provide everyone with the proof through information from the writing of some of the world's greatest scholars and other intelligent sources. If after you've read this information you still don't believe, then it's something you have to deal with through God himself. Notice he wasn't going to prove it from the scriptures. He's going to, he's going to provide information from some of the world's greatest scholars and other intelligent sources right right one of, the, one of the things i've always thought is interesting is that if you are you know you can debate back and forth do animals have souls do they not have souls but if you're going to say they do have souls one thing that i would be interested to say is well you know the bible is very clear about what it takes to get to heaven and how many animals have gone through that process exactly right. how many animals follow the the guidelines how many animals have been baptized if you're going to say that's what a, a human being has to do to be faithful to god well, that standard should hold true for animals as well, shouldn't it? In other words, if I've got a bad dog, he bites people, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and he messes up everything. He needs to be coming down in the front at the altar call yeah. to repent yeah. so that, so, you know. No, no, I, I, you know, a good dog versus a bad dog. So that right. bad dog going to go to hell and the good dog going to go to hell. Yeah, and then and, how, how do you decide what's yeah. a bad dog and what's a good dog? Yeah. How many times I, I can they suspect, be bad? I would suspect that people who are animal lovers, and I certainly would like to include myself as an animal lover, but people who are concerned about their, you know, immortal soul would just like to believe that they're innocent and they're all going to heaven. So... You know, I, I suspect that there's no one who thinks that there are "quote unquote" bad dogs or bad cats or bad birds or whatever. Yeah, that, uh, you're probably right. If you're an ultimate animal lover, then they they probably you would guess that they would think that all of them would go to heaven. Um, uh, we got an answer from Anthony in the chat room. 
uh, will animal, no, excuse me, Anthony in, in the email, he says, will animals have an eternal existence in heaven or hell? Again, there's no biblical basis for the idea that animals have an eternal existence. We see only human souls in the various scenes in the book of Revelation other than heavenly creatures, etc. The only earthly beings described in the Bible as having spirits or souls are humans. Having said this, could God cause animals to be present in heaven, even though he has not revealed this to us? Yes, God is omnipotent, and that is not requ- and it is not required to have revealed all of his ways to us. He has, however, given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, Second Peter 1, verse 3. If you're going to say, I, I agree with Anthony's conclusion there, if you're going to say animals in heaven, you're going to have to do that without the basis of any revelation from God. He simply hasn't told. But I would go back to the point that you made earlier, Jim, in Genesis chapter 1, in the creation, God said, let us make man right. after our image. Well, what did he mean when he said after our image? Does he mean five fingers on each hand, two ears on each side of the head, two eyes and a nose in the middle? Is that what he meant, image? Or didn't he mean the spiritual, the spiritual, spiritual image, image of right, God? Right. And so uh, since he exclusively said he made man in his spiritual image, mm-hmm. then we have to say that he would that would exclude animals. And animals don't have a soul. Well, you know, and I'm, I'm also reminded of the fact that when God describes the concept of death, the only one that he describes with respect to death and a continuance is man. And uh, I'm thinking about Ecclesiastes chapter 12, and in verse 7 it says, um, in, in talking here about the concept of one who, who gets old and then eventually dies, it says, Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. So it's man that has a spirit, and it's man that has to stand before God in judgment. It's man that God expects to worship him. Now, I would say in thinking about this, you know, one passage that came to mind in in thinking about God and animals, you know, God obviously made animals, and God had a purpose in making animals, and and I suspect, although I can't prove it 100%, I suspect that God made animals uh, as kind of uh, our companions. You know, when you think about uh, the situation in Genesis chapter 2 where God brought them all before Adam, and Adam recognized that that none of them would make a sufficient companion for him, and that's why, why God made Eve. But I still think that in making all these animals, God wanted them to be provided for. We think about Noah and the ark, that God had the animals put on the ark. And, you know, passages such as um, Matthew chapter 6, where it talks about the fowls of the air. Behold the fowls of the air, Matthew 6, 26. Uh, For they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? So, you know, it's obvious that God cares for all of his creation, including animals. But the only part of the creation that has a direct connection with him as far as fellowship is man because we are made in his image. We have a spiritual relationship, and God expects us to take care of that spiritual relationship. All right. All right. Uh, I think you're exactly right. I want to, I want us to delve into a little bit more of the treatment, proper treatment of animals. That's something we never talked about. I think it's appropriate to talk about it. Uh, when we come back from our break, I'll catch up in the chat room real quick. Uh, we've got Danny in Greenville, Mississippi. We've got Anthony in Charlotte, North Carolina. We've got Anthony in Columbia, Tennessee. <laughs> uh, Anthony... Uh, our Anthony here in Columbia says, cats rule, dogs drool. 
deal with it. So he's he's and I know I know Anthony to be a cat lover. A little different perspective there. Jacob is listening to us in Florida. Says we're sounding good down there. Uh, And Danny in Mississippi gives you know like Mark sixteen fifteen and sixteen. First John two verses one and two to suggest the idea that you know cats couldn't obey any as you said Brian obey any of the rules of God in order to inherit His blessings. Uh, well, even beyond that, you know, it's it's a, a we all recognize that dogs like water, so they could be baptized, and cats don't. Yeah. So, oh, <laughs> hadn't thought about that. You try to baptize a cat, that's right. You're going to have your hands full. That's right. That's yeah, right. Exactly. But you've seen plenty of Labrador retrievers just get right in the water. So <laughs> that's exactly right. Okay, we're going to we're going to get a little more serious on the other side here and talk about the proper treatment of animals. Before we get to this question of can churches have special services to bless animals. And can we just do whatever we want on subjects like that that the Bible doesn't address? That's an important question in itself. We'll be right back after the break, and we look forward to hearing from you. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. Hi, I'm Anthony Petrochko, a member of the College View Church of Christ. Thanks for listening to the virtual Bible study. We want to remind you that our website, www.collegeview.com or www.thevirtualbiblestudy.com, has lots of valuable study tools available for your use. First, you can find archives of all our past programs there. We've covered a wide variety of topics, including doctrinal issues, moral and ethical questions, and many things related to living daily as a Christian. And while we don't have a search engine option on our website, remember that you can hit Control-F and type in a keyword. You'll then see that keyword highlighted on the page. For instance, if you hit Control-F and typed in the word worship, you'd find these past programs that we've conducted. Does it matter how we worship? What about contemporary worship and hand clapping? Our worship, pleasing to God or pleasing to man, and instrumental music in worship. That's just an example, but you get the idea as to how the web page can be used to help in your study of various subjects. Also remember that we have copies of our church bulletin on the website, and these bulletins include articles on hundreds of topics. You'll also find some recorded sermons, some Bible tracts, as well as information about the College View Church. So be sure to check out the valuable resources on our website. Again, the address is collegeview.com or thevirtualbiblestudy.com. And thanks again for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Be sure to tell others. I am Nestor Sanchez from Arica, Chile, in South America. And I love to listen to the Virtual Bible Study. And this moment, I invite you to participate in this program, too. Gracias. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. And we're back on the Virtual Bible Study. Let me repeat our contact info for you. Uh, you can call us, 877 877- 381-4567. That's toll-free. We'll pay the bill. 877-381-4567. Send us an email to questions at collegeview.com or get in the chat room, and we'll try to monitor all of those ways in which you can communicate with us. We'd be glad to hear from you. We're talking about, first of all, in our study tonight, we're talking about the idea of animals, and this is going to lead us to a question of can churches have special services to bless the animals and so forth, so forth and so on. But First of all, we're just talking about animals, and I think we've rightfully concluded the Bible reveals nothing at all to us about animals having souls or spirits or that they can go to heaven or be sent to hell. There's just none of that in the Bible. If you're going to believe that, you're going to have to believe it without uh, any information or revelation from God. But the Bible does, Brian, Jim, the Bible does talk about being cruel to animals, and, and I think that 
as God-fearing people, we have an obligation in regards to the proper treatment of animals. Let me read quickly Anthony's observations uh, in email. He says, Cruelty toward animals is not acceptable in God's eyes. God gave man dominion over animals, and we are certainly allowed to use them in appropriate ways for food as beasts of burden and so forth. But mistreatment of animals is essentially an expression of violence and wrath. Proverbs 12.10 says, Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. Also, we know that blood is sacred in God's eyes. In Leviticus 17.14 and many other places, we learn that, quote, life is in the blood and that the Israelites were not to eat of it. This implies a certain respect for life that God expects us to have. Quote, hands that shed innocent blood may apply specifically to humans, but the idea of wantonly shedding blood, even of animals, I feel is clearly condemned in the scriptures. What are your thoughts on cruelty to animals? How should we properly treat animals? Well, I think that there's a, you know, the, the in the article by uh, Stephen Rowland, he referenced that Proverbs 12.10 about a righteous man regarding his animal. And I think that's true. You know, if God has made us stewards of his creation, then we don't have the right just to to go about and, and kill animals just because we want to. I think that God establishes the fact that they are, are for food. So the idea of going out, like some people today may have killed a turkey or some people may have killed a goose or something like that. People go hunting for deer. You know, all of that the scriptures would uh, approve of because that is which is provided for food. But the idea, as we mentioned in, in Matthew 6, that you know even God's concerned about the birds and God provides for them. So just any type of wanton cruelty... God doesn't provide for that, and, and certainly it would not be keeping in the character if we think of the example of Jesus. You know, would Jesus have, you know, burned a cat, or would Jesus have, you know, hung a dog or something like that? No, he wouldn't have done those things. That He was concerned about uh, demonstrating the love of God in everything he did. What do you, what do you think, Brian? Right. And I think that's definitely true because the one thing about being a Christian is that you are to be the same in all facets of your life. You know, whether you're dealing with a human being, whether you're dealing with your personal finances, whether you're dealing with animals, you know, it there would, wouldn't make sense and it wouldn't be consistent if you just say, okay, well, I should be responsible at this, I should be kind, I should be merciful, I should be graceful, uh, you know, gracious. But then when it comes to my dog, I can beat my dog, starve my dog, you know, do all these things. It's just not consistent with the picture we see in the scripture. I think that's a good observation. The idea, uh, if if we are peaceable people, if we if we if we're respectable people, if we appreciate the creation of God. Then we're not right. going to mistreat it. I think. Right. I mean, you could take that and say even like uh, things concerning the environment. Right. You know, right. It's God's creation. We right. ought to have some respect. For it. It's there for us to use. In Genesis chapter one, verse twenty-eight, God gave man dominion over right. the animal right. world that He created. And uh, in the Old Testament, Genesis nine three, man's permitted to kill animals for food. Genesis three, verse twenty-one, God Himself provided coats of animal skins right. after Adam and Eve sinned, uh, and so forth. Um, so, I mean, animals are for our use, and they're a blessing God has provided to be used at our discretion, but to be cruel to an animal. You know, I've known, I've talked to psychologists in the past who suggest, you know, if you've got a child that is abusive to animals or, or, or tortures or somehow does something sadistic to an animal... That's a huge red flag that pops up. Right. Something right. wrong with that kid's mind. Right. Something's going on haywire. That's not right. And and that would be, I think, in line with what the Bible has to say on that. And I, and I think also that you think about the example that we're to set as Christians. You know, if someone's looking at our character and our behavior and they see the way we treat something inferior, you know, the way that we treat something that can't really respond back to us, 
then what are they? What kind of opinion are they going to inform about us? You know, when you take someone out for an interview, sometimes they take people out to eat because they want to see how they're going to treat the server, how they're going to react in certain situations. Yeah, yeah. When people are judging Christians, it'd be the same way when you look at how they treat their animals. Good, good observation. Um, I found a couple other notes on the internet that I thought were good um, concerning God's instruction for the treatment of animals. The Israelites were not to muzzle the ox who labored in treading out the grain. Deuteronomy twenty-five four. Beasts of burden were granted rest on the Sabbath day, Exodus 20.10. The Lord asked Job, quote, who provides for the raven his prey when his young ones cry unto the Lord? Job 38, verse 41, suggesting the Lord makes sure that the wild animals in the field are provided for. And Jesus said in Matthew 10.29 that not a single sparrow falls to the ground without God's concern. So uh, there's there's plenty of information there that suggests the idea that we should respect animals and and uh, again anybody who wouldn't i think has got some serious problems well and and even thinking about the example of jesus when he healed the man on the sabbath day he he talked about the fact that if they had an ox that had fallen into a a hole would they not have even though it was the sabbath day they would have taken that ox out and so um uh, and then you think about the idea where you know moses said you know thou shalt not muzzle the ox that treadeth the corn so it's obvious that God has presented in his word that there is a certain respect that we are to have for all of his creation, including animals. Exactly right. Including animals. All right, exactly right. All right, now let's let's segue into the other thing that we need to talk about from this article that uh, by Stephen Rowland in the newspaper. Um, should churches have special services to bless the animals yes or no why or not why not that's the question that we put out there um, and obviously it is something that is being done people people have such services as those um, let me read his quote again he said uh, um, he read he heard of a, a, a denominational church doing it in the past he sh- would have shaken his head about such an event but now he thinks that what's not specifically addressed in scriptures can neither be made doctrinally necessary or banned outright. What about the idea of a church having a special service to bless the animals? Uh, could you do that? How would you address that? Somebody, somebody comes to you, Jim or Brian, either one take this question. I'm suggesting that the, the Sunday right before, um, the spring equinox, <laughs> I don't know. Or the Sunday right after. You know, that's all springtime. It's all about, you yeah, know, yeah. flowers. Yeah, and pretty significant day. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think, uh, I'm, I'm suggesting, Jim, you're a preacher. Couldn't we have a, a special service just to bless the animals? How are you going to address me? How are you going to respond to me when I, I say, make that suggestion? Well, I guess my first question is going to be, where does that fit with respect to, to the work of the church? You know, we, we recognize from the scriptures that the work of the church is to evangelize in uh, teaching the gospel, that the, the work of the church is to uh, edify saints, uh, and the work of the church is to practice a benevolence among saints. Uh, how does that, how does blessing an animal, first off, what do you mean when you say bless an animal? And second off, how does that fit into the concept of the work of the church? And to what purpose does it serve? It doesn't do anything for the animal. If the animal is not a, a spiritual being, if it doesn't have a spirit, then what benefit is it to the animal? What benefit is it to the person? What uh, what authority does the, the church have, in effect, to do something like that if it doesn't fall within the realm of the work of the church? Yeah, I think that I think that's the bottom line answer. 
in, in the email, Anthony says the short answer is no, can't have such services. The reason simply is that we have no biblical authority for doing so. From where in the New Testament will we derive the example, command, or inference that the church engaged in such an activity? Furthermore, what would be the rules around such a service? There are no biblical guidelines, so it would be a free-for-all. I think that's an interesting point. If we're to do it, how would we know how to do that? Well, and, you know, he addresses, uh, uh, Stephen Rowland in his article addresses with the comment, he said, Jesus and his disciples never went around blessing animals. That should tell us something. You know, certainly there were animals there. We know that Jesus blessed children. Children were brought to him. If they didn't do it, if he didn't do it, and there's no account in the New Testament of any of the apostles doing it, then that ought to indicate something unto us. You know, if you stop and think about it, animals would have been more important to people in that day than to us. I mean, sure. we, we sure. love our pets, sure. but animals were very much their livelihood sure. in that day. And, and you know, they had a real need for their animals to be well and do well, and yet you still never see the Lord or any of his apostles uh, or any inspired person of the New Testament. For that matter, even in the Old Testament, you don't read any suggestion of the idea of, of, of something some special blessing bestowed upon the animals. Right. So, again, it's without Bible authority. It's not mentioned in the Scriptures. If you're going to do it, you're going to be doing something that the Bible does not authorize. But, you know, sadly, that typically doesn't bother a lot of people. I think that gets to what he's dealing with, with his uh, idea of, of biblical hermeneutic, because he says that if it is not... Um, he says, what is not specifically addressed in Scripture can neither be made doctrinally necessary nor banned outright. So uh, I'm, I'm assuming then what he's saying is if it's not provided in the Scripture, that doesn't mean we can't do it. And, and, and I think that's where a lot of people uh, get their ideas for any number of things, and that's where we divert away from the Scriptures. The idea is to say, in effect, just because it's not addressed in Scripture doesn't mean I can't do it. And what they really mean to say is, I'm going to do it even though it's not addressed in Scripture. And what I found interesting about this particular article was his rationale about why blessing animals would be okay was not because Jesus and the disciples didn't do it, but because when he was a boy, he prayed for his dog to get better, and it got better. And so is that our rationale for obeying? Do we obey because we want something to happen and it happens and therefore we believe that it must be the right thing? Or is it because it's in Scripture and we're supposed to do it? And so his his argument basically is a subjective argument. Right. I feel right. that I mm-hmm. prayed for my animal and he got well. God must have made him well and therefore God wants me to be praying for the animals and therefore we can just leapfrog from one thing to the next, right. and we can now have special church services to bless the animals, and we, who knows what. All right, we're going to get more into that as we when we get on the other side of the break. We want to talk about this whole idea of this. He used the word hermeneutic, and he said a hermeneutic. I think he said it was a common sense rule. I think, as I understand biblical hermeneutics, it's just rules of interpretation, right. rules of biblical interpretation. He suggests that uh, a, a biblical hermeneutic that we think may be very suspect. So we'll look at that when we get back from the break. We'd be glad to hear from you. Join us in the chat room. Send us an email, questions at collegeview.com, or give us a phone call, 877-381-4567. We're going to be back right after this bullet point break. Did you hear what they just said? Call in during this break and let everyone know what you think. The virtual Bible study continues after this announcement. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. 
Hunters of various sorts, duck, goose, turkey, etc., are known to use decoys in their pursuit of game. The idea is to distract the attention of the animal with decoys. In the process of this distraction, a couple of things are supposed to happen. First, the hunted object will imagine that, because others of its breed are present, this is a good place to be. Additionally, the lurking hunter and the danger he poses will be less conspicuous, hopefully not noticed at all. This technique, when properly employed, can be very successful. The people of God are being hunted on a continual basis. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says that our adversary, the devil, is constantly lurking about, seeking whom he may devour. And he uses many devices, according to 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. The decoy method that we described a moment ago is one of his most effective tools. Notice how it works. First, our attention is drawn to the fact that lots of others are involved in a particular activity. It must be okay, we reason, because everybody's doing it. Never mind the fact that we have been warned concerning following a multitude to do evil, Exodus 23, verse 2. Disregard the clear admonitions that we cannot know right and wrong by observing the actions of others, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12. God's word may clearly condemn the deed, but the decoys have drawn us in. We develop a false sense of security because so many others are involved. The popularity of drinking, dancing, immodest dress, and so forth are all used by Satan in the process of tempting us to engage in the same sinful acts. And then secondly, of course, Satan himself and his dastardly ambition to ruin us for all eternity is hidden from our view by these decoys. Like the hunter in the blind, shrouded in camouflage, Satan is a master of deception. When hunting with decoys, it is not uncommon for the hunted prey to recognize the plot at the last moment. But usually it's too late to avoid the shotgun blast. May it never be so with our souls. Be sober. Be vigilant, says 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. My name is Jack Coleman, a member of the College View Church of Christ. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study, and we hope you'll tell others about the program. We're always open to your feedback concerning topics for discussion and suggestions as how we can make the program more effective. Drop us a line at questions at collegeview.com or call us toll-free at 877-381-4567. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Colossians 3.17. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the Virtual Bible Study. and Looking forward to hearing from you uh, as we continue our discussion. This, this conversation is generated by a, a newspaper article by a columnist named Stephen Rowland, or Roland, and uh, he, he he introduced it by asking the question of, you know, would it be right for churches to have special services to bless the animals? But then he he went to a much broader subject, Jim and Brian, when he asked us, uh, and by the way, my my uh, helpers tonight on the Virtual Bible Study, Jim Walsh and Brian Walsh, we're glad to have you all here tonight. He went to the broader question of, if, if the Bible doesn't say something, he concludes that, therefore, we are free to do as we please. Uh, he says uh, there is an important hermeneutical, he calls it a common sense rule of biblical interpretation, that goes something like this. What is not specifically addressed in Scripture can neither be made doctrinally necessary nor banned outright. It may require a judgment call in relation to broader biblical principles or common sense. Uh, can you think of any examples of things not specifically addressed in the scripture that we therefore are not we, we can't ban them outright we cannot make we can't make them necessary but we can't ban them outright Can you well you know when we deal with uh, concepts of 
authority. We, we recognize that authority comes from God's word. Uh, so then faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. And then uh, we walk by faith, not by sight, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. So we recognize that to walk with God, we walk by faith, and faith is created by his word. Therefore, we cannot walk in silence because silence is not faith. We always see that truth is light and that error is darkness. So we're not going to walk in darkness. We're not going to walk in silence. We're going to walk in truth. We're going to walk in faith. And there are too many biblical examples of when God has said one thing, that automatically, if nothing else is mentioned, that automatically excludes others. And, and maybe, Brian, you remember the story of uh, the two sons of Aaron, Nadab and Abihu. I think that's in Leviticus 10. And the situation of their offering strange fire. God had told them where they were to get the fire to burn the incense. They got fire from somewhere else. God didn't mention that other fire. He was silent about that other fire. He destroyed them. For doing that. So when they went somewhere that God did not authorize, you know, they could have said to themselves, well, God didn't say we can't have this. God was silent on some other fire. But when God authorized one, he excluded others. When God authorizes Jesus Christ, he excludes others. When God authorizes water baptism, he excludes others. So if people want to work in the realm of silence, they're going to have a huge area to go in, but they're going to go beyond the boundaries of the scriptures. And I think the scriptures kind of go on a little bit. If you remember in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5, it says, lean not on your own understanding. Yeah. You know, all throughout, I think we do have some guidance, at least, in this area of quote-unquote silence, because the scriptures even tell us, you know, don't lean on your own understanding. That's why the scriptures are provided, so that you can, without a doubt, know. That, that's, that's what the scriptures are all about. Um, Peter says, you can make your calling and election sure. The scripture is there to give us clear-cut guidance so that we don't have to bring it into our realm, so that we don't have to lean on our own interpretations or our own understandings. Yeah. You know, society would be in a dilemma, and our daily lives would be a disaster if people used the same kind of, he called it common sense, it's not common sense at all. If you use the same kind of reasoning that he uses here, that if, if the Bible is silent on a thing, we cannot ban it outright. You know, for instance, the example I've used many times is, let's say I call in an order to the Sears catalog. And I say on page number 306, I want item number 2058. Send me one of those. And so I wait a couple of days, and a couple of days later, a semi-truck backs up to my front door. And they just start offloading a whole truckload of stuff. And I said, wait, wait, what are you doing here? And they said, well, we're delivering an order from the Sears catalog. I said, I ordered one thing. Well, yeah, it's here. Well, what's the rest of this stuff? Well, it's just other stuff from the Sears catalog. You didn't say not to send it. Uh, if, if, if that was necessary, I'd have to go through the catalog. I'd say, I want you to send me this item. Don't send me. And then go through and list everything in the catalog and specifically say, don't send me that. It would be unworkable. It would be completely crazy. Every day in our daily dealings with people... We understand that when someone says something and specifies something, that they obviously exclude other things. And, and we operate on that principle all the time, and there's no sense as to why we wouldn't do the same thing religiously. Well, again, you know, uh, in thinking about Second Corinthians 5, verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. You cannot walk by faith if you're walking in silence. You have to have God's word to create that area where you can dwell. 
If you don't have God's word, then you're not dwelling in an area where God is. So if people want to argue that silence is permission, uh, then they have to do it without the consent of God. Uh, because God's word is permission. Silence is not permission. Exactly right. Uh, Anthony in his email says, uh, does the silence of Scripture give us liberty to act as we see fit? Absolutely not. If God wanted to give us a list of all the things we are not supposed to do, the Bible would have enough volumes to fill a warehouse. God in his wisdom chose to reveal to us rather the things that we are authorized to do. We see this in the principle in action in Hebrews 7 verse 14. And he says, I'll let you all discuss this verse and its application. Go ahead, uh, uh, one of you fellows got Hebrews 7, 14. Okay, this is from the King James Version. Uh, here he's talking about the idea of Jesus being a, a priest after the order of Melchizedek. And uh, the Hebrew writer has been talking about the priesthood, and we recognize that God authorized the Levites. It would be from the Levites would come the priests. And so in Hebrews 7, verse 14, it says, For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning a priesthood. And so it is yet far more evident for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest. Well, we know Melchizedek, he came out when, when Abraham was involved in that uh, war in the, in the plains, and it said that Abraham paid tithes unto him. And the Hebrew writer here in the beginning of Hebrews 7 talks about Melchizedek, that he was king of Salem, and he was a king, uh, he was also a priest, priest of the Most High yeah. God. So he was a king and he was a priest. That's what the promises of, of Jesus deal with as the branch, as Jeremiah tells us, that he, he fulfills two uh, basic responsibilities as high priest and as king. He, he could not do that if he was from the tribe of Judah. He could not be a high priest. And if he's from the tribe under, of under Levi, the, the, under the uh, old law, yeah. and he could not be, be a high priest if he was from the tribe of Judah. And he couldn't be a king if he was from the tribe of Levi. So the, he, the uh, New Testament writer of Hebrews tells us that Jesus fulfilled another uh, role, and that is of high priest and king, uh, of something that, that God provided for us to understand. But the emphasis there, too, is on the, concerning the tribe of Judah. Nothing, Nothing was said, said right. about being a priest. It, right. it didn't say you can or you can't. It right. didn't say anything at all. Well, again, we, we would recognize that once God authorized the Levites, that excluded the other 11. That took care of it. Exactly right. And uh, real quick, I think it's interesting that one of the, I guess, presumptions that people operate on when they do walk in the silence is that, what they're doing is going to be okay with God. Yeah. I don't think people set out to say, well, I know it doesn't say anything about this, and God probably wouldn't want me to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. And so that's interesting because when you look at the Scriptures, most of the time man's thinking does not line up with God. Exactly. You know, God says, my thoughts are higher than your thoughts, my ways are different than your ways. So many times you can see that man's wisdom is not anywhere close to God's exactly. wisdom. Exactly. So it's interesting that people make that jump. So if if I if I'm going to venture out here into the realm of things that God has not authorized, He's been silent about them. Then I'm at at the very best I'm taking an enormous risk to assume or hope that God will favor what I've chosen to do when He hadn't said that He would. I've used this kind of an illustration many times in Bible studies with people. Let's say that Brian, I'm going to leave for vacation and I hire you to paint my house. And I tell you specifically, I want the house painted white, and I want the shutters painted green. And so I leave with the promise, I'll pay you when I return for a completed job. You show up the next day to start painting, and you say, a white house with green shutters. Every house on this street is a white house with green shutters. I just think maybe gray with black shutters would be better. 
Maroon shutters. Maybe maroon okay. shutters. Okay. So you paint it that way based upon what you think, how you feel about it. What's what's going to happen when I return home? Well, there's a possibility when I return home that I'll like what you did and I'll go ahead and pay you. But there's also the strong possibility <laughs> that when I get home, I'll say, you didn't do what I said. I'm a much get- stronger possibility. Yeah, and I'm not paying you. So as a house painter, your best option would be do it just as God said, or in this case, do it just as I said, paint the house just as I said. Because even if you, even if it's not your preference, you're assured that you'll get paid when payday comes. And in in regards to God, we should do what He says and not do anything He hasn't said or authorized, disregarding our own personal preference in the matters to be sure that we please God. Well, and I was thinking of uh, the scripture that's found several times in the book of Judges, and it's provided in such a way as to condemn the practice. It, I, I turn to the last uh, verse in the book of Judges, Judges 21, verse 25. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And, and God did not authorize that each one of us set up our own standard uh, of, of determining what is right and what is wrong. And in fact, that's humanism. That's exactly what humanism teaches. It teaches that each of us is a standard unto ourselves. Thus, what is right for me may not be right for you, but you can't judge me about what I'm doing, and I can't judge you for what you're doing. And it makes every man his own God to have his own standard. And when we begin to walk in silence, when we begin to say, God didn't say, I can't do this, then we begin to set up a standard, and not everybody's going to follow that standard. And I think that's why we have a denominational world today, why we have many different religions where people practice different things because they're not satisfied with the one standard that God provides in his word. And, and it's such a dangerous precedent, too, because what's you know normal and rational, as you know, Dad was saying there, what's normal and rational for some people is not normal and rational for many others. And so you have you know, some people that maybe just want to take it a little baby step here, but then once the doors are open, how many people want to go farther and farther and farther if, and farther? If, you get to, if, if it's your decision, you want to have this service to bless the animals, and it's allowed. Yeah. In other words, we decide, well, the Bible doesn't talk about it, but we're going to do it anyway. Then I come along next week, and I've got my little pet project. On what basis can the church say, no, we're not going to do that? We let Brian have his special service to bless his dog, now Greg wants to, I don't know. I want my house blessed. Yeah, I want to bless my, my car house. blessed. I want, right. yeah, you know, I want my water My car blessed. broke down today. I might need a blessing on my, on my car. But, yeah. uh, you know, it, as you said, once we cross that line, there's no stopping place. Jacob uh, in the chat room says, Jeremiah 10, 23, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. If we are acting without authority, we are, by definition, directing our own steps. And I think that's exactly right. All right, we're going to take a final break here. When we get back, we've got a couple more questions to deal with on this idea of the silence of Scripture. Can we act where the Bible has not authorized? Can that be left to our own discretion? We're going to comment more about that as we take the program to the top of the hour. We'd love to have your input. Give us a call, 877-381-4567. Email is questions at collegeview.com. Or get in the chat room and give us your comments there. We'll be right back after this break. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. Hello, everyone. I'm Monty, a member of the College View Church of Christ. 
So you've been hearing all about the College View Church of Christ on the virtual Bible study and are interested in finding out more about the church. But you live hundreds of miles away from Columbia, Tennessee and can't come and visit with the congregation to find out more. There's no reason to fear. After all, we live in the 21st century. Here's what you can do to find out more about the College View Church of Christ. First, why don't you check out our website while you're listening to the virtual Bible study? You'll find important information about the church there, including bulletin articles there on various subjects and can even listen to sermons that have been presented at the College View Church in the past. Secondly, if you have questions about the church or about any Bible teaching, why don't you send an email to us and let us know how we can help. Send your questions to questions at collegeview.com. That address, once again, is questions at collegeview.com. We can even have a personal Bible study with you over email if you desire. And finally, if you would rather talk with someone in person, give us a call at 931-381-4567. That's 931-381-4567. You can call this number anytime. If you don't get an answer, leave a message and we'll call you back as soon as we can. We're glad you're listening to the virtual Bible study and hope to hear from you soon. Hello, my name's Jeffrey Vernon. I'm 13, and this is the Virtual Bible Study. That was me five years ago. Now I'm 18, and I still love listening to the Virtual Bible Study. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6. The Virtual Bible Study continues. And we're back. We're going to go to the top of the hour discussing some important subjects especially dealing with the idea of the authority of the Scriptures and whether or not we can act when the Bible is silent. Uh, I've got an email from Randy in Swartz Creek, Michigan, who says, Silence forbids in God's holy word. The example that I will give will show that very thing. And then he references Hebrews 7, 11 through 17, which we just talked about. Uh, and, and so we won't read all those verses again. But he says, I believe that argument from Hebrews 7 shows that Jesus could not have... Uh, could not have a uh, could not have been a member of the Levitical priesthood when it was here on earth. The right, law right. was changed. I think right. that's what he means to say there. Thanks, Randy. We agree with you. I think that's a powerful argument, and it certainly does the job of proving that silence does not authorize. We we went on to ask: um, uh, Is it appropriate to leave things to a? And this is what uh, the columnist said in his article. Is it appropriate to leave things to a believer's conscience and local church practice? In other words, on questions like blessing the animals or doing things like that that are not in the Scriptures, is it appropriate to leave it to a person's conscience? What do you think about conscience, Jim? Well, you know, uh, one thought that comes to mind is thinking about Romans 14 and the discussion that Paul has between one who knows that it's okay to eat meat and someone who believes that it's wrong to eat meat. And in that sense, uh, the idea of one's conscience was not to force someone to violate their conscience. So uh, and, until a person comes to a knowledge of the truth, and again, looking at Romans 14, the one who believed that eating meat was wrong was considered the weaker brother, the, one who, was, the, the, the one who was more restrictive of himself, not right. more liberal. Right, right, right. He, he, was, he was the weaker one. So in that respect, uh, conscience was a guide for him. He could not partake of the meat uh, believing that if we understand the historical context, that the meat had been offered in the the butcher's guild, it had been offered to idols, and then it was sold. And so he didn't want to eat meat that had been offered to idols. And so in that sense, his conscience uh, prohibited him from doing something that someone else could do. So Romans 14, when it talks about conscience, is not saying 
if if it doesn't bother your conscience, go ahead and do it. No. Romans 14 is addressing the idea, if my conscience doesn't allow this, right. then I can't. I right. shouldn't. Right, right. But, but what about the guy who says, uh, I don't have any conscience. I don't have any pains of conscience about going over here to the Walmart. You know, they're having a big sale starting at midnight tonight. And they got some pretty neat items that I'd like to have. I don't have any conscience about going in there and just putting one in my pocket and walking out of there. <clears throat> well, then, bother my conscience. But then you're also dealing with the biblical principle of stealing. And so, you know, we have God's word that guides us. God provides a principle. We're not allowed to steal. We're not, you know, we're to work and to do honest labor to to receive our meat. So the idea of someone saying, well, it doesn't bother me to steal, it doesn't bother my conscience, well, then they've already violated the scriptures because the scriptures prohibit that. In other words, we're talking about what God's word provides authority for. Um, You know, we think of passages like uh, 2 John 9 where uh, it talks about the idea of God's word in effect being a boundary for us. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ, hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. God's word through Jesus Christ provides our boundary. And so whether our conscience, you know, says, I don't feel bad about this or not, if God's word prohibits it, then our conscience can't give us permission to do it. Exactly right. So conscience, you can't, he's saying these kind of questions should be left to a believer's conscience. You can't, you can't operate on the basis of conscience in authorizing things. Now, right. my conscience might forbid me from doing something, <clears throat> but I can't allow my conscience to be my license to do things because th- there, there would be no regulation at all. That, I mean, as we said, we got people who have no conscience about all kinds of things that the Bible forbids. Paul, remember the Apostle Paul said, that he had lived in all good, you may have that, uh, Brian, he had lived in all good conscience before God, even during the times when he was persecuting Christians. He said his conscience was clear in that matter. Right, right. So conscience, you know, we can't leave it to conscience, to local church practice. Uh, what about saying, well, this congregation decides to do that. Maybe your congregation wouldn't like to do that where you are located, but the congregation where I am, we've decided it's okay. We're just going to let... Each congregation make a determination on that. Um, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, that, that just flies in the face of everything. When you look at Ephesians chapter 4 about, you know, one Lord, one body, one faith, one baptism, there, there's a unity. There, there's a continuity of the scriptures. And then it would be completely contrary to that to think that, oh, well, you know, this group over here does this, this group over here does this, this individual does according to his own conscience. Just completely contrary ideas. Right. Yeah. Again, we're looking at the scriptures and we're saying the scriptures provide our authority, the scriptures provide our boundary as to where we could go and how we're to walk that we can remain in fellowship with God. If there's a congregation somewhere that says, well, you know what, it just doesn't bother us to have instrumental music then they violate the scriptures because God doesn't authorize that. And when we when you leave it up, in effect, if you say, you know, hopefully we would like to think that since, uh, according to the scriptures, congregations are autonomous. You know, they each are self-ruling. We would like to think that since the scriptures bind all of us, that we're all going to obey the scriptures. But we also recognize that there are people out there who don't want to feel bound by the scriptures. They want some rationale for doing what they want to do. Exactly right. Uh, in email, Anthony has said, whatever we do in word or deed must be done in the name of the Lord. And he's, he's referencing Colossians 3.17 there. Yeah. And he says, of course, this means by his authority. If the Bible has not authorized a thing, it cannot be practiced. Our conscience is not an appropriate guide as it can become seared with a hot iron. Uh, he says certain things are indeed matters of judgment or expedience. This would require a more lengthy discussion, but we can't put everything into this category. 
You know, this, this uh, Anthony's comment there brings up a, a point. Some people think, well, expediency would allow us to do this sort of thing. But an expedient can only be exercised in regards to something that is already authorized. Right, right. right. Like one of the classic examples we use is thinking about the idea of, of worship. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says, forsake not the assembling together. So we recognize that since we have to have a place to assemble, that there is authority for us to determine where that could be. It could be in a field, it could be in a garage, it could be in a rented pet place, it could be in a purchase place, it could be in a home, it could be in a bus. It, it, there is an agreement that we, we have to assemble somewhere. So the expediency is where? Out in the open, covered, rented, or owned. But it's based on the, it's based based on the on fact the com- that we're commanded we're to commanded. We have to do it. And so God, an expedient, in other words, is a way that God allows us a form of liberty as to how we're going to do it. If we're to assemble on the first day of the week, what time? We make a decision what time we're going to do it. We make a decision how we're going to get there. We're going to ride in a car. We're going to walk. So the expediency only exists if God has given us the authorization to do something. Exactly right. Exactly right. Any other thoughts on that? Let's go quickly. We're going to run out of time. Uh, he, he made a statement here that I just thought deserved to be commented about. He said, in regards to all of this, he said, let's not sweat the small stuff. You know, disagreements about whether or not we could have a service to bless the animals and so forth. He says, let's just don't sweat the small stuff. And I ask uh, to our update list, is don't sweat the small stuff a biblical concept? And I got a pretty good response from Anthony when he said, ask Nadab and Abihu, Uzzah, or Ananias and Sapphira. Right, right. Know, that's, I mean, that just answers it exactly, doesn't it? You know, uh, in the case of Nadab and Abihu, which you mentioned earlier, they just got their fire from the wrong source. They were struck dead for it. Uzzah, who I who I regard to have been a, a sincere fellow, right, he made right. a sincere act of trying to preserve the Ark of the Covenant from being harmed, and he touched it. But God had said long before that, don't, don't. nobody right. touch it, right. and that he was struck dead. Some people would say, man, that seems like small stuff. That seems like that shouldn't be all that important. <clears throat> right, but but the whole point that, you know, when we go back to Leviticus 10, you know, to me that's always been such an, an incredible situation. Here's Aaron. Here are his sons. His sons have been uh, killed by God because they violated God's word. And, and God through Moses, in effect, said in, in Leviticus chapter 10, verse 3, Moses says to Aaron, This is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh to me, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. In other words, God says, you obey my will, you glorify me. You sanctify me. You give me that special place. When you disregard my will, I have no place with you. And that must have been an incredibly difficult situation for Aaron. He just had to be quiet because God was right and they were wrong. Exactly. And I think also, you know, when we say the small stuff... What is that? That's us making the determination that this thing is smaller as compared to something that we would determine to be bigger. In in God's eyes, I think we can see that it's all the same. That's right. That's human wisdom again, right? Yeah. Exactly right. All right, one last question. We're just out of time. Are there Christians of various stripes out there? He said we should strive to understand other Christians of a different stripe a little better. How, How would you answer that? Well, you know, to me... Paul addressed it in 1 Corinthians. The whole point in 1 Corinthians was that these people were dividing up because they could not agree on certain things. And uh, in the very first chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul said, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you speak the same thing, there be no divisions among you, that you be joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So... 
Paul is saying, look, there should not be, you know, different, quote-unquote, Christians, Christians of a different stripe. That's right. That we're, we're spo- Jesus in, in John 17 prayed that we would all be, be one. one, not be different, have different stripes, but we'd all be one, perfectly <clears throat> united as he and the Father are united and that ought to be our goal. This is just, you know, church speak, so so to say, for people who want to not be um, enemies of, of other people in different religions, because, you know, I don't agree with them and they don't agree with me. We want to be friends. So we're going to see them as Christians of a different stripe. But that's not it. You're either doing what God wants you to do or you're not. And if you're not doing it, you're not with them in fellowship. And calling people Christians who aren't in fellowship with God is not uh, of any benefit to them or of God's people. Exactly. First right. John only mentions life. Light and dark, nothing in between. Very good, very good. We're out of time. Jim and Brian, thanks for joining me tonight on Thanksgiving night. We appreciate you taking time out of your holiday schedule to be with me on the Virtual Bible Study tonight. We hope Jacob will be back next week to take his normal place. Uh, I think, as he often says at the end of each program, read and study your Bibles every day. Live by them, and you'll never regret it. That's uh, that's his typical sign-off, and we'll sign off that way tonight. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. We'll hope to see you again next week. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.